Hello. Now in this episode, Francis and I talk about choosing tiles for your family home's floors. Whether you're renovating or building, tiles can be a great option for your floors. Not only just for your bathrooms and laundry or wet areas, but your main flooring as well. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we dive into the interview, if you're listening because you want to get it right in your home's interior design, well, let me take a moment to tell you about the online program, Interior Design 101. If you're like most homeowners I know, dreaming, planning and choosing the interior design, finishes and items in your home, it's one of the fantastic and exciting highlights of any renovation or new build project. And yet it can also be a minefield of options, confusion and overwhelm. Would you like to simplify those choices and have total clarity and confidence that your interior design will help you create your beautiful, functional, feel-good home? Well, that's exactly why Interior Design 101 was created. Interior Design 101 is a self-study DIY program. It contains the full version of all the interviews that are included in the podcast season. I couldn't put all of the questions into the podcast, so we've got the full interviews in both audio and video format, plus extra content that's been specifically created for Interior Design 101. There's full transcripts of all of our interviews. There's also extra checklists, guides, design layouts, and so much good stuff to support you in the interior design of your renovation, new home, or smaller project. This program has been designed to help you gain clarity and confidence in all those selections and decisions that you need to make for the finishes, fixtures, colors, materials, and items that you'll be living with. Every day. So if you'd like to learn more about Interior Design 101, then head to www.interiordesign101.com.au and that's the numbers, the numerals 101. So interiordesign101.com.au and I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. Now let's kick off our episode. Choosing tiles for your family home's floors can be a fantastic, durable and sustainable choice. There are so many options to choose from now with colours and patterns to suit any home and any interior design scheme. Yet many homeowners are put off by tiles and they keep them purely to their wet areas, to their bathrooms and laundries. Thinking them too hard or too cold, I see homeowners avoid them for their main flooring. However, they are a brilliant and affordable flooring choice when you understand the terminology, you know how to choose well and you can make a great selection for your home. Now, I've personally chosen tiles over timber for projects of mine and Francis has as well. You know, I did it for affordability reasons and also for some design reasons. There was an existing timber floor throughout the original part of a home that was really going to be tricky to match with a newer product. So this was a renovation project that my husband and I did and it was a really extensive renovation. We raised the house, we built in underneath, we added a big extension on the rear and on the side and I you know the main extension that we added at the back was a really large open plan uh, kitchen living dining pavilion and it also had a deck off it and it had a, a 
uh, a butler's pantry and a laundry and a bathroom and sort of a connection zone um, as part of this whole extension. Now, timber, if I'd done an engineered timber floor or a solid timber floor, uh, it would have seriously impacted the budget overall. This whole extension was done as a slab on ground. Uh, the deck was then done as elevated structure on joists and bearers and, and posts, um, but the actual the actual extension itself was a slab on ground. And I just, you know, when I looked at doing timber floors through there, I still was going to have to tile the laundry and the bathroom and then I was going to have to consider how I coordinated whatever timber I chose for the extension, for the deck, for the connection point, how that was going to coordinate with the tiles in the bathroom and kitchen, bathroom and laundry and then how that was all going to coordinate with the original timber in the existing house. And so it just it was just going to be really, really complicated as a flooring choice. And it was going to mean there was going to be a lot of different types of floors. And that was going to be a real spaciousness killer because you would see all of these threshold changes, all of these flooring type changes, and it would be really difficult to do that seamlessly and to also tie all of those colors together. And so what I did instead was I found this beautiful, lovely gray 600 by 300 millimeter tile. It uh, had a matte finish and rectified edges. And you'll hear in this episode about what rectified edges mean. And it had a slight pattern across it. So it looked quite concrete. It was really nice. Now, thermally, having the tile floor worked far better because it's adhered directly to the slab. There's no thermal break between the concrete slab there and the floor. Um, unlike you have with some other flooring types where you have to put a substrate in underneath the flooring before you uh, lay it over the top of a concrete slab. So that really helped then with managing the indoor air temperature in the home as well. And they've, these tiles felt really lovely underfoot. They felt quite soft. They were super easy to clean and to maintain. And I chose a matching grout. And because they were rectified edges, we were able to get that all quite tight. And so the impact over a really large area of this extension and the fact that it continued into all of the little ancillary rooms that came off this extension, it meant that there was this beautiful consistent color to the floor and that really helped the area feel spacious overall and it was much easier to coordinate the colors overall and then for furniture choices to be made because you're not dealing with a whole heap of different types of flooring colors so that was it, for me it was a really uh, a really straightforward choice it was something that initially I was a little bit hesitant to do because there was timber in the original house um, but it just made so much sense as we put it all together and I was so pleased with the result and it's something that I've continued to recommend for loads and loads of projects that I've worked on since now have you actually thought about tiles as an option for your floor I I really hope that if you're thinking about, you know, if you're, if you're saying that you can't budget for engineered or timber floors and they were your preference and so you're instead looking at laminate or vinyl, that maybe you'll consider tiles as a really viable option for you. So let's learn more about tiles and about choosing them for your family home's floors. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Well, Francis, we're back talking about flooring. We had planned to bundle this into the previous episode, but we talked so much about timber that I thought it was worthwhile that we separate this out because this is going to be another big topic, um, and that's choosing tiles for your floor. And this can be for the main part of your house, for your wet areas, your laundries, your bathrooms, and uh, and also potentially outside on our fresco areas as well and those types of things. So it's one of 
there's a lot of terminology, I think more than any other flooring choice, um, carpet possibly, and we're going to talk about carpet in the next episode, but there is a lot of terminology around tiles in terms of the material tiles are made from, the finishes that go on them, and the way that they're edged um, too. And I think that that can start to really overwhelm and confuse homeowners when they're trying to make selections. And if you walk into a tiling shop, <laughs> don't ever take your children with you and don't ever um, – and make sure you dedicate a fair bit of time to it because it is one of those things that you don't actually know how – how many choices are to be made until you have them all in front of you and then of course there's all the criteria of like how is going to get here is it going to be shipped here batching all that kind of stuff so we're going to dive into a bit of this to help homeowners have some understanding about how to go choosing of course the same criteria that we spoke about in the last episode apply in the introduction that we talked about in terms of your criteria for choosing your floor those criteria also apply uh, in making tiling the choice that you're going to choose. I find a lot of family homeowners don't want to put tiles on their forever family home floors because they feel it's going to be too hard for a surface. I've personally, I've actually found tiling to be quite a warm finish because you can capitalize on that thermal mass connection it can have with the slab. So I think it's one of those things I know that having lived on a tiled floor in a home that we did an extensive renovation on, having a lovely uh, tile that had a, a like a soft texture to it and and had you know the house was really well designed for passive solar and thermal mass it was actually almost warmer than a timber floor would have been in the same scenario so now can we talk through some of the different tiling types because uh, that is an interior designer I know you're going to be able to shed a lot of light on this so when I was sort of listing off the different kinds we've obviously got porcelain ceramic cement stone terrazzo, terracotta and slate. So that was sort of the the range of types that I found. I probably think that the most common ones that homeowners will come to to kind of deal with would be porcelain, ceramic and cement um, because all of the others are going to be natural materials that are going to bring their own problems in terms of long-term. You know, if you're choosing a natural material, you're more likely to need a seal on it and those kinds of things. It's also going to be more cost. So what are the main differences between those different types if you can just sort of and also the the performance of them, um, you know, I mentioned that seal briefly, but just in terms of the difference between, I suppose, a, a composite made material um, like porcelain or ceramic and a natural material like a stone tile. If you could just run through some of the things that people might need to consider. Okay, so with porcelain, um, it's a very dense product and it's been fired to a much higher temperature than something like a ceramic-based tile. I almost, uh, the way I describe it to clients is that ceramic is almost like a biscuit. So it, it can break much more easily than, say, a porcelain tile, but the manufacturing process is different. And the rule of thumb really is that porcelain is for floor and wall. Ceramic is only for wall. Ceramic is definitely not strong enough to put on a, 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 a floor and I've seen it where it has been put down because it is um, more cost advantageous than uh, many porcelain tiles and it will it'll crack, it'll break, uh, the surface will chip off. It, it's just not designed uh, to be for a floor but absolutely fine um, for a wall. Porcelain is a lot more durable and I suppose the key with it is it's a lot more non-porous than a ceramic tile and it's also stain resistant, particularly the high-end um, porcelain tiles. I won't really go into it now because there's so much detail, but there is a difference between a cheaper manufactured porcelain tile and a more higher end porcelain tile. It, there's not a 
it's not the same having a $30 per square metre porcelain tile as what it is having a $100 per square metre uh, porcelain tile. Their manufacturing processes are very different. Um, but if you're thinking about what do I put on my floor and what do I do put on my wall, porcelain is wall, sorry, floor and ceramic is is for the for the wall, but you can put porcelain on the wall too. If we go down to um, cement tiles, these are generally a little bit thicker. So porcelain and ceramic tiles generally, not all the time, but generally are 10 mil thick, um, where a ceramic tile is generally speaking a bit thicker than that. Um, they are. They need to be sealed. They are very, very durable, being made from cement, but they do need to be sealed. And I know this puts a lot of people off, even though designs of cement tiles at the moment are absolutely stunning. It does put people off that really every 12 months you are going to need to seal those tiles. Um, what I say in that instance is not all the time, but many of those designs you can actually find in a porcelain surface. And so that may be actually a better decision for you if you're really not keen on the maintenance aspect of the cement tiles. So that's definitely a consideration. Then we come down to stone. So you might think a limestone or a sandstone. Any sort of stone that you put on your floor is going to be, need to be sealed. Uh, also depending on the finish. So a honed finish can also be when it's wet, very slippery. And you should also consider this as well for porcelain tiles. Um, if they are a matte finish or a lapato, it's sometimes called lapato, that is going to be better in wet areas such as a bathroom rather than choosing a gloss finish, which you will absolutely go for a sixer uh, if that becomes wet. And again, gloss is thankfully sort of receding now and we're seeing a lot more semi-gloss and matte gloss, sorry, mash tiles being used, but they are definitely imperative for, for wet areas. So getting back to the stone, if it is honed, it will be a lot more slippery, um, but stone does need to be sealed. And again, it's going to be a lot more um, expensive than say a porcelain product. And stone is is a natural product, so it's got all those beautiful illeg, illeg, oh, irregularities with it, excuse I. Um, so that that's a beautiful um, aspect to have into your home, but there will be the cost and the ceiling. So again, a lot of people don't want the maintenance um, and that can also be cost prohibitive. I'm actually seeing Terrazzo having a comeback. Um, I saw it... At- <laughs> Yeah, I saw it a lot in the States too. Um, Terrazzo uh, was a really big, um, yeah, I saw it being used in a lot of uh, uh, more commercial and hospitality projects, but which I always see as the gateway to when it starts coming into residential. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, we pulled a Terrazzo, oh no, we didn't pull it out in the end, but we had a Terrazzo floor in the first home that we bought. Yeah, we left it there actually. Um, um, and it was a blue with a black, it was a laid terrazzo, so it wasn't a tile, but it was a laid terrazzo. And I see, um, yeah, a lot of people looking for these tiled terrazzo looks as something that, that can definitely come into their home. So, uh, And that is, I suppose, the point with getting back to porcelain again, that the manufacturing process and the digital imaging that they're using, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, is so incredible, particularly from the really high-end porcelain producers, that the impressions that they're making um, and the digital image and it is, to your point, it's mimicking another product, but it's so good now, sometimes it's actually difficult to to pick up the reel. But look, to your point about Terrazzo, it's making an enormous comeback. Uh, I'm seeing it in residential already. Um, there are some absolutely stunning products coming out in a, you know such a wide variety of colours and even the sizes of the pieces 
um, that are being put into the into the product. But it it is a, a combination. It is a composition of chips of marble and quartz and maybe glass or granite, and they're all um, bound then together. But it is so incredibly durable uh, that it, it it is a really big. Um, well, it is making a big comeback. Uh, I, in my new office, they, it's a quite a retro building, and he had a terrazzo floor down, and I just was in love with it. And uh, he said, "Oh, we're going to rip it up," and my wife wants to rip it up, and I'm like, "Are you absolutely crazy? People are spending a fortune to have this sort of terrazzo floor." So, and also for modernist homes, terrazzo is a really great alternative than using vinyl, which was obviously big in that time as well. So terrazzo is a great thing to use if you want to keep in keeping with um, some of the older style homes that they just look fantastic. So definitely a, a good one to look at these days. Yeah, and then terracotta and slate, I, I don't see a lot of people going to choose those, but they might be sort of have them in its existing floor. Again, they're one of those really tricky ones because they are a natural finish. They require a lot of maintenance, particularly slate because it will have quite a bumpy finish on it a lot of the time. So I, I often sort of um, really encourage people when they're looking at these finishes, how easily are going to be like, there's a fine line. I think when you're choosing a tiled floor, how easily you're going to be able to put a mop across it. And, and it also, it be slip resistant enough, but not difficult to keep clean. There is a borderline sort of choice in that, isn't there? So absolutely. And look, with, with something like slate and I've lived with a slate, uh, I lived in a, a house that had a slate floor and it is about what you're saying around the mop but also if you are thinking about kids or pets crawling along that, you know, their hairs or bits of fabric or whatever get stuck in the sharper little pieces there but incredibly durable, um, blends with so many different other styles so it's very transitional particularly when you're looking at the darker slates um, and slate is also making a comeback not only the dark slates, but also the more warmer colour tone slates, they are making a comeback. And I think because we've got this resurgence in um, modernist architecture, and that was such a, a product from that period, that it is making a comeback. And the ones with the green and the variation, it, it can look absolutely beautiful and you can mix so many different things with it. But yes, it, it, look, it doesn't really, it does need to be sealed, but not as often as, uh, as some of the other products. Terracotta, um, being a fired clay, being red and, and brown, is also making a little bit of resurgence. The thing that I find is is quite difficult with terracotta is it is so dominating in a space um, and it's quite difficult sometimes to move away from having it. The, the, the terracotta floor is just so dominant that it's, it's difficult to sometimes blend other things with it. So you've definitely got to love a warm colour way to have terracotta. But it's probably the one thing that I see because it was huge in the 80s and 90s that people want to get rid of is the terracotta tiles, be they porcelain uh, looking terracotta, but they need to be sealed. So there is a lot of maintenance, as you said, with with the, the terracotta and they're very porous. And so they're very, very absorbent. So definitely something to be mindful of. Yeah, it's one of those really directional choices, isn't it, where you're going to have to love the colour scheme that gets created and be chasing a particular aesthetic, I think so. That's say with the porcelain tile, with the high quality one, not even the stain resistance, it's actually the, the image is um, can actually wear off. So the pattern can wear off on the cheaper tiles. So people think they're making such a great saving. And then again, as I said in the last episode, they're going to have to replace their entire floor or it's just going to look so cheap and nasty because the actual surface of the tile is wearing off. And with a high quality porcelain tile, that will not happen. 
Yeah, isn't that amazing? So <laughs> can in terms of the – so we've talked about the different materials, but then there's also different tile types. So we've got rectified and we've got vitrified and we've got pressed. So can you talk through what do each of those mean and why would you choose one over the other? Sure. So uh, rectified is probably the, the choice to restunt. So that is a, a tile that is – basically cut to precision so there's no variation in that tile at all so when they're fired there is a little bit of variation in the porcelain tiles so sometimes it's up to about 1.5 centimeters or mil sorry I should say so that can actually make quite a big difference when you're laying a floor and that is where you'll find if you're not using rectified tiles tilers will actually make you have a bigger grout um, gap of at least probably three mil because they have to allow for the variation in the tile. So when you're using a rectified tiles, you won't have that, which means that you can have a very small grout, one one and a half to two mils, which is obviously a much better solution. Um, and batches can vary uh, significantly if they're not uh, rectified. So that really is the best choice that you can go with because you know that they're precise. The other ones are uh, vitrified, as you mentioned, and they're very, very tightly compressed. So they're very, very good for commercial and also heavy traffic areas. And then you've got pressed tiles and they're coming out of a um, mould. So they've got the curved edges. And uh, so they will be slightly curved. So they're obviously going to have a completely different look. So if you think about the some of the subway tiles, um, and some of the handmade tiles as well that are coming out of Spain, the square tiles, they're also making a big comeback. They're all pressed. And so they've got um, definitely not um, precise edging. Yeah. And sometimes you might find that they're pressed and they're a terracotta tile with a glaze on them. And so you can see that when you look on the edge, you can see the, you can see the glaze and then you can see the, the terracotta. And if you're not getting a good quality one, um, you can find that the glaze isn't consistent the whole way over the top or the tiler, when they've laid it, you can actually see the terracotta is a little bit exposed. So if you've used a white subway tile everywhere, but you're actually seeing this dark brown stripe sort of through your walls in certain locations because of the way that the glazing has not been done properly. So it's really interesting and worthwhile understanding, obviously, what um, how the tile is made. There's also obviously um, understanding is the, is the surface just the only finish, so like that glazed tile, or is it the colour the whole way through? So if you do drop something and you do chip the tile, are you going to see the same colour the whole way through the tile or are you going to get the, the top knocked off and have like a terracotta or a grey tile in underneath that and always see that chip and it'd be very frustrating. So that's definitely um, something to think about, isn't it? Absolutely, and this is another distinction between a high-end and a very cheap tile is um, a high-end tile, you you would hardly even need to ask whether it's – rectified or not because in just about every instance it will be they you know they stand behind the quality of their product and that again is what you won't get with a cheaper tile they will not be rectified which means you will get uh, your finish will just not be the same for all the other reasons we spoke about the product but then you'll have a much bigger grout line um, which also then lose gives you a completely different look as well um, and then you can have the lipping and so forth because the tile is just it's just not quite the same. So that's another reason to go to, to really spend the money, particularly if it's for your floor. Um, can we talk a little bit about batching and how tiles actually get made? Because some, this is something obviously a lot of homeowners don't might not understand when they go to order tiles and then they might run out of quantity and then they go to get more um, 
where problems might occur. And I know we found it with our own place. The last project we were doing, we ordered some 400 by 100 subway tiles. They're a white subway tile and you kind of think a subway tile is a subway tile. But we had to, just by virtue of some stuff ups that happened, needed to get a second batch. And it was really interesting, just in this white glazed tile, the difference between those two batches. And so we had to end up using one batch on three walls and then the the second batch on the wall behind, sort of as you walked into the bathroom so that you would never get the opportunity to really see them side by side. You could, the window was opposite. So you could go, okay, well, there's natural light. So that's why that tile looks a little bit different, you know, and that kind of stuff and it not be really jarring. But how do you sort of see batching, you know, and, and what people need to know about batching when it comes to, to, to their tile ordering? Well, I suppose there's a couple of things, and that is to make sure that the tiles that you're ordering are all coming from the same batch. And really on your order, they'll even give you the batch number. And so if you've got that, you know that if you need to source more, you know exactly which batch number they come from. But depending on the manufacturer, it's how often they're going to be doing different batches and how big those batches are as to whether you are going to be able to source the same batch. So Generally, again, a cheaper tile, they'll have a lot more variation because their process isn't as diligent in terms of their, their the way they're doing their colours and the way they're creating that batch. So there will be much bigger variations in the batches than what you would get with a, with a higher-end tile. Regardless of what you're getting, I would highly suggest that you always have extra. And the other tip I give my clients is have the reserve for their, um, the overs that the, the, the tiler needs, um, the extras that he needs for all his cutting and so forth, and then I would still order two extra boxes, boxes that the tiler doesn't even know about that you just put away for any instance that you do need to, um, to you know, chip a t- uh, to get a tile out or whatever it may be. So always buy a bit more because then you know you're buying from exactly the same batch. Yeah, that's great advice. With tiling generally, I see a lot of people going, oh, look, I could have a lot of fun here. You know, there are so many choices for me, so many different shapes, you know, you've got penny rounds and herring bones and fish scales and, you know, all sorts of things that you can work with. And then I see people almost like chicken out of making the brave choice because it does feel quite permanent, you know, putting it on the wall. But it's always it's always a lot of fun when you see somebody be brave and say, okay, I actually do, I want to do the glorious, you know, um, bright blue tile through my bathroom shower, you know, and I want to do the really fantastic fun splash back in the kitchen and, you know, that kind of stuff. So you can actually be really adventurous with your tiles. You can, and I think that, you know, and if I talk from a forever home perspective, I always say if there's a colour that you love and you've loved it all your life, not just, oh, I've seen it around and I love it, but if you've always gravitated to a certain colour and you're building the house for yourself, you know you're not going to tire of that colour. So just do it. Um, You know, having a a really out there splashback or something that's got a a colour that you love or a design that you love is going to be far more interesting and reflects your personality so much more than just doing boring old, I want to have it timeless. You can still have other elements around your home quite timeless, but add add some of your own personality by using colours that you love or design pieces that you love um, in the tiles in particular um, and it doesn't need to be absolutely everywhere, but just in some maybe some bits and pieces around. It might even be the powder room you go crazy. That is where a lot of my clients feel that they've got creative license to do anything. And it's so different to the rest of the house because I think, well, it's just this little room and I'm going to really just go for it. And I really encourage it. Life's too short. <laughs> and you're building, 
You're building the forever home for you. It's not about what anyone else thinks. People are so worried about what everyone else thinks and will it have resale value. If you're going to stay in that house for 20 years, who cares what the resale value is because it'll need to be renovated anyway. Yeah, and I think too. I'm off my soapbox now, Amelia. No, no, but I, I actually, I actually agree. And I think that you know, I think that if it's like a kitchen splashback or it's in a bathroom area, it's actually a really easy fix and replace if you do get sick of it in five, ten years time. You know, so, um, and so yeah, I think to have some fun with it is a beautiful opportunity for you to really personalize your home. So, and um, and if you're picking, you know, of course those those types of tiles can come at quite a higher cost per square meter, but if you're using small areas of them, it's amazing how much joy it can do and what it can do to lift a scheme um, in those sort of small celebrations. So just don't put it inside. I don't understand people putting the feature tile inside their soap holder and their niches in their showers and then sticking their shampoo bottles in front of them. (laughs) So, So the other thing, of course, is your tiling set out. And this is also extends to your timber floorboard set out as well. Sometimes you'll be backed into a corner about your floorboard set out because it's going on a substructure. And so the substructure runs one way and the timber floorboards have to run the other way. Um, but sometimes you will have choice. So what do you, um, you know, suggest in terms of thinking about that tiling or timber floor layout in terms of what you can achieve with the tricks of the eye and the way it can make a space feel and then how you actually go about telling somebody that that's how you want things laid out and when you tell them. Well, I suppose there's a couple of things with a timber or a, a tiled floor that's that is in plank format. You definitely want to be able to open the door and it's running lengthways. So you don't want it to be running across. Um, it'll elongate and it guides you also, um, you know, with the eye, you're being guided into that space. So you really need to try and avoid having, um, you know, planks or timbers running running the other way, crossways from the door. Uh, but when you open it, they're running down. The other thing I think to be really mindful with tile layout, for example, is if you are having a shower niche, which of course is becoming very, very popular, that needs to be done at frame stage because your niche needs to be framed out. Now, that's well before the tiles are going in. Your floor, your, your, your tiled floor's not in either. So you need to know definitely at that stage what your, what your tile specification is in terms of what size it is because you want to be able to make sure that from the ground, from the floor up, you've got the, the right amount of t- full tiles up to the shower niche, preferably, or a, a half tile. Um, before you get to the shower niche. Otherwise, you're going to sort of have half a tile in the shower niche, you'll have grout in the shower niche, or you've stopped the tiles and it just looks wrong. And this is probably one area where people really forget as well because, one, they haven't chosen their tiles or they haven't told the builder that they're having a niche. So that really needs to be thought about. The other thing is um, making sure you start a room with a full tile. So have a look at the tile layout from, and that's also going to give the perception of, um, you know, a bigger space. You start with a full tile, particularly with a larger tile it does. But when you you really want to avoid all the little slithers of tile in any one space, any one corner, the back of the front or wherever. So if you're starting with a large tile, you need to look at the layout combination starting with the middle, moving out or even left from right or right from left. Where is my smaller piece going to be? And if it's by the toilet, not such a big drama after cabinetry, not such a big drama, but you really want to avoid that small slither of tile altogether or, you know, being in such an obvious place like the shower. Yeah. So there's some some of the tips that I would give. 
Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, I've seen far far too often that the tiler will just start at one corner and move across and they end up with the thin sliver of cut tile right at the door threshold. <laughs> because it just hasn't been, yeah, it hasn't been mapped out. And I think too it's worth, you know, you'll see people choose, say, a floor tile that they think is the same width as their, um, you know, they might have like a 300 by 300 tile on the wall and then a 600 by 300 tile on the floor, but because they're different tiles, types they might not be exactly the same 300 width and they're trying to line them up and it it just doesn't work necessarily so it's really important that when you are choosing your tiles you know it's it's always great that you put this information on your drawings that you get your designer or your drafts person to include the tile set out on your drawings that you actually plan it out in a CAD basis or even in a hand drawing basis and look at the size of the room, you'll see that drawings might, you know, it's important that you ask your drafts person or designer is the width that they're just, that they've put in a dimension on the room. Is that to the frame or is that to the face of the wall? You know, because if you in a tile, like if you're dealing with 10 and 20 mils, that's enough to make a big difference. And if they've measured to the frame stage and they haven't shown you what the dimension is going to be, once you put wall linings and tiles on, then that's going to impact kind of what your tile set out might be it's also worthwhile thinking about the extent of the tiling how are you going to the same height I recommend at a base minimum that you always go to 2100 the whole way around the room that you so then you're lining up the tops of your shower um, shower screens your mirrors and your doors Um, I like going to the ceiling but you know going to 2100 is a good compromise You'll see the lower cost homes will do just the shower recess, then drop down to the bath hob, then they'll go to a skirting tile behind the bath. In a long-term family home, that just isn't durable. You know, you've got a lot of condensation in bathrooms, a lot of um, moisture. So you're much better off having tiles on the walls to do that. You also need to understand that once, you know, it's like I I always like to think about how do I want to widen the room? And so I, I pick the lines of tiles Uh, the long line to run where I want to widen a room. So if I'm doing a narrow lot house, for example, I'll pick the flooring to run crosswise on that because I'm trying to widen the space rather than, rather than accentuate the, the longness of it, I suppose. So I think that that's, you know, I think I can definitely see that, um, you know, it's, it's, hopefully homeowners can see this is all best decided on in the drawings, (laughs) you know, and as a, when you're working with a designer an interior designer or an architect, you'll start, to include wet area drawings at one to 50 and one to 20 that are at bigger scale so that they can actually map out how's this all going to work and um, where are you going to need to cut tiles. And if you're wanting to use large format tiles in your bathroom as well, you need to make sure that your tiler is going to be able to achieve the falls, the falls in a bathroom floor. A lot of tilers will say, no, I don't want to do anything bigger than a 300 by 300 on a, on a bathroom floor because I can't get the, the falls to work. So it's really worthwhile sort of understanding that as well. And look, the other thing is I think you need to do your due diligence about what's possible and this is where your architect and your interior designer can help because sometimes the tilers will may want to go down the easy route and so because some of these things can be quite intricate and tricky um, and a good tiler won't and they're really proud of their finish but look some of them will say look we just can't do that but it is possible so so check if that is something that you really want to get done or wanting to achieve you know check with another professional that's you know a, a bit distant from that that can actually guide you and say whether it is really feasible or not. Yeah, I think that's been a great wrap up on tiles. We're going to talk a little bit more about slip resistance and those types of things when we get to the bathrooms episode. But thank you so much, Francis. We've managed to cram a lot into that episode. Thanks, Amelia. 
Now, I hope you enjoyed learning all about tiles, using it as a flooring product and the various terminology and the differences between tile types and ultimately how you can make more informed choices for your home. So head to the show notes. You can grab links and resources mentioned in this episode. And also you can get in touch with Frances and White Pebble Interiors. I really encourage you to reach out and let her know if you've been enjoying her, uh, what she's been sharing about her incredible wealth of knowledge when it comes to interior design and the products for your home. And you can also check out her book, Your Forever Home as well. It's a really fantastic resource. Now you'll also find a link in the uh, show notes and in the resources on the blog to find out more about Interior Design 101. So Interior Design 101 is a self-study online program that will help you gain clarity and confidence for the interior design of your future home. Now inside Interior Design 101, uh, Francis and I talk more about tiles. So we talk about digital printing of tiles, which is actually how a lot of the patterns on tiles are achieved these days. And Francis shares some awesome and key tips to know about digital printing uh, and about choosing digital printed tiles so that you can get the best result for your home. Really fantastic finish on your floors. We also talk about grout colors, how to test your grout choice before you uh, make a selection and put it across everything. And we talk about dealing with corners how to get really neat corners in your tiling and also just generally how to get the best results when you're working with a tiler, when you're preparing your interior design drawings so that you can make sure you can get a really good finished result in your home. Now in the next podcast episode, I'm actually going to be back with a special guest and we're going to be talking all about concrete floors. So Concrete floors have become a really popular choice uh, for new homes and for renovation projects, but there are some key things that you need to know if you're planning on a concrete floor for your home's interior, because if you stuff it up, wowzers, you have to live with it for a long time. So, and they're really, really hard to fix. (laughs) So it's really essential that you know how to get it right. And so I really uh, look forward to sharing that information with you in the next podcast episode. Now, as always, huge gratitude to you. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. Bye. Bye.